once you can actually get your mind moving in the direction that you actually want to go instead of avoiding the things and kind of playing mental movies over in your head of failure or of worry or of doubt or self-judgment, whatever the case is, it's amazing what it does immediately to people's performance because you're not as, you know, you're essentially not performing with the emergency brake on all the time, which is kind of the experience for many people. They're almost kind of battling themselves. Instead, you actually release the brake and, and, and now you actually get to see just how well you can perform out there. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone, today we have a good friend of mine, Todd Herman, who's the author of The Alter Ego Effect and a global leader in high performance. Todd has been entrenched in the world of elite performers, working with the highest achievers in sports and business for over two decades, and he has a whole bunch of other accolades that I'm going to let him talk about in a second. So, Todd, first and foremost, how's it going? Mr. Sue, I am honored to be with... uh a superhero like you. So thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you. You, you are the superhero here. So, I mean, let, let's, let's start with you. I mean, kind of, you know, who, who are you, who's Todd and, and what is your story? Well, some days I am a, uh, worn out father. I've got three little kids, all six and under. So I live here in New York city and, uh, I joke that it's like raising a, uh, an oak tree in a thimble. So that's kind of first and foremost, my biggest and most important role is being a dad. Uh, but, I'm uh, originally I'm a farm kid from Western Canada and uh, always knew that I wanted to kind of live in, in a bigger place and managed to find my way to New York City after living around the world, Jakarta, Cape Town, London, Copenhagen, Madrid, all over the place, building up my my kind of training, quote unquote, empire, first starting out with athletes, working with them on the mental game and peak performance stuff. And that ended up translating into working with a lot of corporate people because any type A high achieving personality, uh, when they find out you're working with some of the top pro athletes, they're like, well, I got to perform at a high level. Can you work with me too? And so I created another training company working with people on, you know, personal leadership and, uh, accountability and same, the same strategy we talk about with athletes working with them. And, um, I, I also am uh, the winner of the world's largest twister competition when I was 16. Well, I want to talk about that in a second. Um, but but also, I mean, when you talk about the mental game, can you can you elaborate a little bit on, on what that actually means so you know people can understand that? Yeah, sure. So um, when I first started out, like I, I mean, I played college football. I was a nationally ranked badminton player, so I played sport at a at a pretty high level, and um, I did that on the back of not. I'm not a physically gifted individual. I mean, I was six feet tall, but I was probably 155 pounds soaking wet when I was in high school. But the one thing that I had going for me was I had a really good basically mental game strategy, and mental game for me was all about trying to align. My, my thinking, my knowledge, my capabilities that I had developed, my skills, 
align that with, you know, getting on the emotional plane that you need to get on in order to perform at a high level so that your, all of your physical capabilities can come out of you. So I, when I first started working with athletes, as I called it the triune athlete, the mentally, emotionally, and physically tough athlete, that when you get that, when you get those three things aligned together, moving in the same direction, you get your absolute best performance to finally show up for you out there. Because most people's experience is that, they they would end their game and they would be like, why didn't I take that shot or I didn't play up to my capability? I lost my focus, concentration. And so that's what I would work with them on is, you know, focus training, concentration training. I'd give them different tools and tactics in order to develop those things and develop like uh, imagery training because it's bandied around even in the business world of, you know, developing a vision. Well, we can visualize and we visualize all the time. That doesn't mean that you can uh, just automatically start visualizing as a skill set and be very good at it. It's actually something you got to develop. And so I had kind of training programs to help people develop that skill because once you can actually get your mind moving in the direction that you actually want to go instead of avoiding the things and kind of playing mental movies over in your head of failure or of worry or of doubt or self-judgment, whatever the case is. It's amazing what it does immediately to people's performance because you're not as you know, you're essentially not performing with the emergency brake on all the time, which is kind of the experience for many people. They're almost kind of battling themselves. Instead, you actually release the brake and, and, and now you actually get to see just how well you can perform out there. So it's, it's, it's many of those things, but relaxation training and relaxation skills and that I would work with athletes on. And it translates into where I'm working with people, you know, just like you or, or anyone else, because when you're, an entrepreneur, very much just like an athlete, you're self-directing and uh, your business is only going to grow typically as much as you do. So that's kind of, if that answers the question around mental game stuff. Yeah, totally. And, and who, maybe you have some examples of some high performers that you've worked with in the past. Yeah. So kind of one of the big secrets of my business and, and this actually is a really good, I think even just business lesson on whole Eric is when you're looking at a, uh, a business niche that you're going into, if you could really take a good hard look at the real need of the people that you're serving, you're going to stand out in that audience. So case in point with me, I'm a byproduct of mentors and mentorship. I'm a huge believer in it. I'm a huge believer in apprenticeship, which is something of a bit of a bygone era. But I think the speed and, and you're actually kind of a bit of a byproduct of this, too. I mean, Eric, you kind of tucked yourself under the wing of Neil early on and look where it's kind of taken you. You've developed into your own self, of course, in your own business. But a lot of people want to have success like right now, but they don't want to put in the work. So I went and tucked myself in under mentors who were at the very top of the game. Kind of one of the key things with it is try to find whoever's the best at something, right? whatever it might be for you, and go work with them. Like why settle for anything less than the absolute best? And of course, you got to come with an open vessel. Like kind of like the Bruce Lee idea of when you come to a, a mentor, you can't come with your cup full. You got to come with your cup, your cup empty so that you can truly soak up all the wisdom that they're going to provide. So I did that. And when I was working with my, one of my first mentors, Harvey Dorfman, who was the absolute giant of the mental game coaching world, wrote literally the book on, on it, was the biggest name in Major League Baseball. He said to me when I was kind of after wrapping up about 33 days of spending time with him, I said, you know, if you were going to do things differently now, like, is there any sort of trends that you see that would help me kind of as I'm growing? And he said, yes. And this is back in 2001. 
media is is becoming more and more invasive and pervasive in athletes life and everyone is out there trying to get something from them the skill trainer or the speed trainer or the physical fitness trainer whatever everyone is trying to trade on the back of that guy's name if you can be the one person who doesn't do that that will set you apart because for the work that you and I do again we're crawling around between the six inches of people's ears. We need extraordinary levels of trust in order to do that because we need people to be very honest with us about what's going on in their head and might be stopping them or holding them back or, or whatever. And I'm seeing this. If I was going to do this over again, I would never share who I'm working with because at that level, when you're working at the highest level in sport or business, people don't go and Google search peak performance coach, top peak performance, like they don't do that stuff. Everything is referral based. So it's, you know, two guys sitting next to each other in a locker room and one guy saying to the other just how, you know, he feels like the coach is on him too much and his confidence is kind of down and he's kind of dealing with a bit of a nagging hamstring injury or something like that. And he's just not playing up to his ability. And that other guy says, Oh, you should talk to my guy, Todd. And that's exactly how I've built out my practice at that elite level. But the, the big reason why there's, it's so easy for them to refer me is because I have never, ever, ever shared who I work with privately. I've never, and I just came out with a, a best-selling book just last week. And even when I was going through that process, we had 19 publishers interested in the book, which is, you know, if you know anything about publishing is, is an, is a crazy number. But even in those meetings, I had a couple of people that would be like, I'm a, so yeah, you're obviously going to be telling stories about some of your clients and um, that'll be really great PR because that'll get you on the Today Show and da-da-da-da because we can bring on some of your athletes. And I said, I, I think you're mistaken because I even said inside of my proposal that I will never, ever share who their names are in the book. I will use aliases for everybody, even in my phone. Everyone is in my phone as an alias. So my point about that isn't about just like my, my process, but it has massively greased the slide to that side of my business, like the one-on-one -on -one private work with elite people, because everyone comes to me with extraordinary levels of trust because I have worked with names that are set on ESPN Sports Center every single night, and I, I don't trade on the back of their name. And so if you can truly find what the real underlying need is or how people are going about possibly breaking the business model for the customer, it sets you up for a phenomenal level of success. So getting back to your question, though, about who I've worked with, whether it's Real Madrid, because there's you know teams I've worked with, Real Madrid, New York Giants, guys in the PGA and stuff like that. The funny thing about it, though, is at that level, there's very little things that we're actually, or not very little, there's about 20% of the stuff that we're talking about that helps them develop their skill on the field. Probably about 80% of the stuff that we talk about is actually stuff to manage off of the field. And I think the same thing goes, I mean, because I work with entrepreneurs um, and I've got big training programs for entrepreneurs and, and corporate. The same thing happens in our days. Like the things that oftentimes distract us and pull us off course, a lot of times has nothing to do with the business. A lot of it has something to do, a lot of the times has stuff to do with our personal lives. And learning how to manage that so that you can actually step onto that field of entrepreneurship with a clear mind so that you get the absolute most out of your day and, and truly be able to, to lead the life of a peak performer. Okay. And what would be some examples of some of the things, the 80% of things you're talking about, you know, off the field that you find common in both uh, high performing athletes and entrepreneurs? Yeah. So one thing as a tool, I know a question that you ask, like to ask people is, you know, around a productivity hack to share kind of thing, but something that people that operate at a high level 
have in common. If there is one thing that I that I will lean on as a long-term strategy for peak performance at the mental thinking level, at the emotional level, and at the physical level, nothing can beat. Categorically, science proves it. Nothing beats meditation. Nothing can beat it. Can't be touched. It's such a powerful form of getting yourself into high levels of clarity. Uh, it's kind of unpacking and uh, releasing just old tension, anxiety, so that you can start to kind of navigate through life's waters with more grace and resiliency. And so that is one of the first places that I will go to with people to develop as a practice for them. And I've seen it in my own life. I mean, I've been talking, I mean, I started talking about meditation and teaching it 22 years ago when yoga wasn't even cool back then. So to get people to meditate, people thought it was like, so woo woo, but I mean, just science shows it's just so smart. And in fact, there was a, I think it was in the wall street journal. I've been trying to track down this article for a while that I remember reading where they had interviewed, I think it was the top 15 wealth managers and wealthiest people on wall street here in New York city. And, um, 13 of them all mentioned that the reason that they can outperform everyone else in the marketplace is because they they feel like their superpower is meditation or the thing that they do is meditation, which gives them that superpower of not getting emotionally engaged in the market like everyone else does and then panic, but truly wade through it with a lot greater emotional resiliency. Okay. And so around meditation, because right now, I mean, now it's become, you know, part of culture, right? And so everyone's talking, oh, you know, I meditate, you know, I use this app, I use that app. I mean, what do you, I'm assuming you do something maybe a little differently. Uh, Is there anything you'd recommend besides the apps that everyone's talking about? Yeah, I think just as uh, a great entry level to start is to turn something into a game. So what I did with athletes and you know, even to this day with executives or entrepreneurs is to turn into a game. And so what I do is I'd set a timer for three minutes and everyone can do this at the end of this interview, set a timer for three minutes. And then what I want you to do is whether you close your eyes or you don't close your eyes, doesn't matter to me. If you have your eyes opened, find a point on the wall in front of you or on the floor in front of you. And I want you to imagine the number one. So you click start on the timer and imagine the number one and just keep on saying over and over to yourself one, you know, one, one. And the moment you find yourself drifting off in your mind, like your mind has started thinking about what you're going to have for dinner tonight or, um, uh, the sales call you've got um, coming or the call or the conversation you have to have with one of your employees. Now you want to go to number two and keep on doing that. Every time your mind drifts, go to the next number. And at the end, when the timer goes off, track that number. What number were you at? Were you at 36? Were you at 48? And most of the time, people are actually not all that honest because your your mind drifts pretty quickly when you first start doing this. Because again, what you're doing is you're developing focus and concentration skills. That's what meditation does. It's one of the great superpowers that it gives us is it's like the bicep curl to the frontal lobe in our brain where focus and concentration sit. So when people say, well, I just can't focus, that's just not me. It's like, well, no, 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 you just haven't developed it, Okay. Like it's like what my uh, friend Carol Dweck says around fixed mindset and growth mindset, right? Like this is, that's a fixed mindset that you've got right there. That's not true. That's just true for you right now, but it's not a truth. Anyways, after you do it for three minutes, whatever that number is, then do it again, whether it's later that day or uh, again, and you're going to see now that the number will start to decrease oftentimes, or you'll start to get better. The average will start, the, the mean will start to go down for you. And that's just a great place to start. And then if you can do something for three minutes, you can do it for five. And so, I mean, just the absolute ideal is to do it for 20 minutes. Now, here's the crazy thing with meditation. People go, I don't have time for 20 minutes. Yes, you do. Because what happens is when you meditate for 20 minutes, 
what you're really doing is you're buying back time later in the day or afterwards because it's like stepping into the shower for your brain. You're washing it off. You're getting rid of anxiety. You're refocusing and recalibrating it so that the next three hours of work that you go through is like nine hours of productivity comparatively if you didn't do meditation. I love that. I mean, it's so it's so practical, right? And, and uh, you know, the thing is, like, we you know when people get started, it's like, let's you, you know, use Headspace, use Calm. Those are all great apps, by the way. And but the thing is, you know, there's nothing practical like this where it's like one, 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 two, two, two kind of thing where you actually get to train the muscle. So I, I I love that. Well, and the great thing about it too is the great thing about it too, Eric, is like you can do that. I mean, I live in New York City. You can do that in the back of a taxi cab. You can do that anywhere. Like you don't need to, you know, cause it's, it, the moment you start using apps and other things, it's such an easy excuse then to not do something. Cause it's like, oh, I don't have my headspace thing on my head or I don't have my, you know, whatever it is. It's like, no, like I want to keep things as analog and easy as possible so that they're truly isn't an excuse for me not to do something. And again, I agree with you. Those are still great apps to use, but I don't want to make, I want to make sure I don't give people an excuse to not do something that's super powerful for them. Yep. Love it. So I want to talk a little bit about the business it, itself. So, you know, how do you, I mean, I'm sure you, you, you evolved over the years. Maybe you started coaching people initially. I mean, how does your business work now? How do you make money? Yeah. So, um, uh, so I started out when I first started doing what I was doing back when I was 21 and I was doing like live in-person sessions with people, $75 for a package of three. So I was really hitting the big time money. <laughs> back then. Um, uh, but I evolved and uh, now uh, my business has you know many different revenue streams that come into it. Um, one is licensing. So I have training programs that I've built up, especially in the sports space, that are licensed, and they're in um, larger sporting organizations around the world: the German Soccer Federation, um, um, Olympic teams, uh, or national Olympic teams use um, bits and pieces of my stuff, and I license that to them. And then I have uh, some online training programs. So one of the things that happened to me back in 2000 and about eight, nine was I was kind of getting to this place where I had been hustling for a really long time. I was single and very focused on, on business, but I knew that I was going to be getting close to the point where I was going to want to start to have a family and get married. And I was at that point in time traveling around the world, speaking a lot, doing a lot of in-person events. And I didn't want to live that life when I had a family. So I wanted to build more kind of location, independence, and freedom for myself. Not in the context of like working 10 hours a, a week or something like that. No, I just wanted to be not uh, beholden to having to get onto a plane and go somewhere. So I started building up more online training programs. So I've got about 35% of all of my revenue in our company and, and we're an eight figure company that comes in through online training programs. So my 90 day year program, which is the high performance system that we have for entrepreneurs, which leverages the stuff that I use and have used with athletes, uh, is an online program. I just came out with my book that was just released a, a week and a half ago, eight, nine days ago, the alter ego effect, which is all about the, the, like the, one of the strongest mental game tools that we use with people to help them, you know, navigate the internal world of resistance and help them show up on their field, you know, as you know, what I call in the book, the heroic self. And so that all of, all of you gets out there, um, like, you know, that you can, but sometimes you have a difficult time of making it happen. And so we have, um, another training program that'll be coming on the back of, of that book for people. There's a little bit of revenue that comes in through speaking. It'll probably start to increase more now that the book is out. And, uh, and then I still have some larger group programs 
that people are in, entrepreneurs are in to come in and uh, really develop their personal leadership performance skills. And then I do still have some one-on-one work that I work with athletes, uh, high-level elite um, sporting coaches and entrepreneurs on as well. Got it. And so, you know, my initial reaction is, is it sounds like you have a lot of different uh, revenue streams, a lot of different product lines. How do you manage all that? At least for me, it starts to get a little overwhelming. So I'm just wondering how you balance it all. Yeah. So um, it sounds like it's a lot. Really, there are about three specific products. They're just delivered. There's, There's an opportunity for them to be delivered in different ways, right? So each of those different offerings is simply leveraging the same system more often, more often than not, because you're exactly right. Like, especially when you're running a training type business or a coaching business or a consulting business, if you have multiple different types of products, it's very easy for you to, or it's really hard for you to scale. It's a mistake I made early on was I, I was trying to create a product for every single type of niche that was out there. And what it does is it complicates you in two, in, on, on two fronts. It compl- it, complicates the front end of your business. So the front stage where you're marketing and selling stuff, because you have to create out marketing plans for all of these different products. And then on the back end, it's really complicated because now you've got to deliver five or six different things. So while it looks like differently to the customer that there's a lot of customization or opportunities for them on the back end of my business, there's really only two things that we're, we're typically doing and delivering on the back end through the systems that we've created for working with people. Got it. So the front end might be like a book, for example, or it might be like a, like an ebook or something that you have. And then in the back end, you're selling, you know, this, this one, it might be like, I'm just making things up right now. It might be like a group coaching or a one-on-one coaching type of an offer. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not even talking about from that context. I'm talking from the context of on the front end, someone might look and see that there's a bunch of like, so there's the alter ego effect book and then there's the alter ego method, right? Well, behind the scenes, it's still the same to me. Like it's, we've the alter, like it's, it's still the same piece of IP. We're just now going to be delivering it to them uh, in a format of an online training program. So one is, one is sitting inside of a book, one sitting inside of an online training program. It's still leveraging the exact same ideas. We're just doing it in multimedia format. Same thing with 90 day year, like even the higher level program that I was talking about working with athletes on. So we have my accelerator series of programs, but really what the accelerator series is simply leveraging the 90 day year performance system. We're just delivering it in a concierge, more bespoke way with people. Got it. Makes sense. So yeah. I, want to, I want to start talking about the, the book in a second, but uh, just so for, for people to know, I mean, how much, you said three different products, how much does each cost roughly? So the 90 year program, depending on promotion, is going to be um, running between 1000 to $2,500, depending on if we're adding in any sort of you know support kind of classes with it. And then uh, the alter ego well, the Alter Effect book, I mean, obviously it's ranging between, I think, $12 for the Kindle up to 27 for the hardcover book and then the Audible and, uh, and then the, the actual master class that comes that you can get with the book would be uh, $4.99. That's going to be basically about the price point with it. And then we have coaching and um, training programs that will range anywhere from 5000 up to $120,000 for the year. Got it. Okay, perfect. So you guys can check all that out. Todd's got all the different offerings that he's he's, he's, uh, broken them out beautifully. So Todd, I mean, why the book? Why the alter ego effect? Great question. So I have been using this idea and concept with my in my sports uh, world for since 2003. And it's what I used when I played football. 
And then when I started my business, I was 21, I kind of talked about it before. Uh, I looked like I was 12, terribly insecure about how young I looked and, you know, who's going to believe me when I go on stage to talk about this. And really the only people who are ever respected when they're on stage is, you know, you need to be, have at least 20 years experience. I was just building this like terrible narrative in my head. And I, and I know that you started a business at a young age too. I don't know if you ever had to deal with any of that stuff yourself. All the time. I think there's, there's that, and you know, a, Asians, like, I guess they, they don't really like start aging until a little later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're very, very lucky. Um, that you get to look like you're um, uh, 18 until you're <laughs> <laughs> until you're about 50. Apparently, I've got a bit of a still a, a younger face. I mean, I'm 43 now. A lot of people are maybe you do for sure. Yeah, a lot of people are surprised by that. But I, th I tell people that it's because I'm from Canada and uh, the permafrost hasn't melted away, so I'm still looking young youngish. But yeah, so I was just terribly insecure about that. And then one day, I kind of had this flash of insight. I was like, wait a second, you use this kind of idea of the alter ego when you were playing football so you could go out and step into like a way bigger version of yourself and perform at a higher level. Well, why don't you just do that in business? And uh, what I really was inspired by was I, I wanted to, you know, step into like a Superman version of myself in business. And I thought, you know, well, Superman puts on glasses to become Clark Kent. Why don't I kind of go out and get a pair of glasses so I can use that as my kind of totem to step into that other identity that I really wanted to perform at a high level. So that's what I did. I went out and got a pair of uh, non-prescription glasses. And, and the reality is, and I kind of unpacked this in the book, there's actually a few things that I was doing that were really smart from a, a psychological science perspective, because there's a few different phenomenon that I was actually triggering that happened naturally in all of us. Anyway, so that's what I did. And I, I ended up, because I was indecisive, I was insecure, I lacked confidence. But when I would step into that other self so that I could do the hard things that I wanted to do in business, make those calls to book myself for workshops and start to engage with and, and, and reach to higher levels of athletes. It was difficult, but I wanted to be more confident and decisive and articulate with, um, with the way that I was showing up. And fast forward about seven months later, I was sitting at my desk working and I didn't have my glasses on and I was always very specific. I put those glasses on to step into my super Richard self. Richard's my first name. And I was sitting there, I didn't have glasses on, but I was doing the activities that I most wanted to do six months earlier. And I wasn't, I didn't have that same friction anymore. So I kind of become that person that I most wanted. Fast forward a couple of years and working with athletes, I started to see this trend that all the athletes that I was working with that were performing at a high level consistently, they would use things like, Oh, I step into this other self or this character or this persona and you know, all these. And I was like, I would, I was kind of in those conversations just say, Oh, that's really fascinating. I used to do the same thing. And I actually did it when I started my business and kind of thinking that it was kind of a personal thing. But then I started to see that it's with, it has a way broader actual application. And I started kind of unpacking it with my athletes and, you know, creating a process around it. And then that's what it became, ended up becoming really known for. And this goes back to kind of business. It's always great to have one great signature thing that you can be known for. So many people are so concerned with being typecast or something like that. But really, it's the thing that gives you your freedom, or at least it gives you an ability for other people to introduce you because you're the guy that or you're the girl that. And so I was the guy that built alter egos and secret identities for athletes to help them transform their performance fast. And so what I became known for was more of a quick hit artist. I was the guy that you got that got called in when someone was in a slump and they had a very important game or tournament happening in a couple of days because I could actually transform the performance really, really quickly, which is a great moniker to have. And, and so it was always very much my secret sauce. 
And uh, I didn't talk about it very much because I didn't want other people to kind of steal my steal my thing. But then because I'm sort of a little bit winding down my presence in the sports world and working a lot more with leaders and entrepreneurs um, over the last eight years, I was like, you know what? I'm ready to write this. And I uh, felt like I could actually put together a, an amazing book with kind of all the science that I had with it and the different stories from people in history that were, you know, going way beyond my own kind of clients that I'd worked with. And it's, and I'm on this and what's turned out is I'm actually going to be, I'm on this huge mission to get this out there to people a lot more because what this does is it actually taps into the really, truly the one superpower that human beings have, which is our creative imagination. We are truly the only thing on the planet that has a creative imagination that can create stories and narratives in our own mind. And, you know, a lot of times people create, you know, a hell from heaven and there's other people who can create a heaven from hell. But um, an alter ego is that amazing bridge that you can use to help you go from where you are and the resistance that you might be facing to where you want to go with more grit, more perseverance and more grace. Um, Because what you do is you end up sidestepping the natural self-doubt that you might have because you're taking on and borrowing the persona qualities of something that you already admire. And this has nothing to do with being fake. You know, because that whole idea of fake it till you make it, of course, that's such a stupid idea. And, and you know this from messaging, Eric, because you're smart at this stuff. You know, fake it till you make it is such a terrible message to put out there. So this has nothing to do with that. This is actually allowing people to step into and find their most real and authentic self that's there that just might have a tough time getting out of them. And secondarily, why not be a little bit more playful with life? And I know that every single individual that's listening to this right now has used this idea because it's baked into the human psych- psyche. We did it when we were kids, when we played around with maybe our favorite um, superhero and we jumped off the couch as Batman or Superman or, you know, Black Panther nowadays, Wonder Woman, or when we were playing as our favorite athlete or, you know, when we're in our science class and we're pretending to be Einstein or, or whatever. We do that and we do it very naturally. And then we end up, quote unquote, growing up and we start acting our age. And we think that those ideas that we'd used as a kid were childish and yet they're not. They're actually the very thing that can set many people's performance free. And so I'm super passionate about getting it out to people because nothing makes me more happy than seeing how someone can change literally in an instant once they embrace the idea that they've already used before. And I just simply give them the process. And, and in, some respects, in some respects, maybe the excuse to know that it's not you being strange. It's actually the most more normal thing. And you're actually a part of some amazing company that have used it in the past. So this would be really, uh, I, I mean, I'm just trying to think when I look at, you know, military people, let's say you look at like a, like a seal or like a, you know, like a soldier or whatever you know, that does put them into, is that kind of the alter ego effect kind of kicking into gear there as well? Well, sure. We all, we all sort of take on these identities. And, um, and I talk even in the book, you kind of, um, you know, obviously when you're uh, a Navy seal or you're in the military, you're putting on a uniform and that uniform means something to people. And what it's doing is it's actually tapping into the idea of enclosed cognition, which is a psychological phenomenon that happens. And we as human beings have where we add meaning to the clothing that other people wear and that we wear. And if you put on that clothing, you actually start to enclose your own self in that identity and you start acting through the skills that you associate with it. In the book, I kind of unpack this one study that was done at the Kellogg School of Management that when they brought a bunch of students into a room, um, have you ever seen that kind of word puzzle where they have the word of a color, Yep. but then the word is colored differently, right? So it's green, but it's in yellow. Totally screws with you. 
Yeah, totally it does. Because, right, our brains process color before it processes the word itself. So what you have to do when you're doing this test is you actually have to say the word. And there will be like, say, a list of 25 uh, words of different colors. And you've got to go through and say it. So what they do is they bring in these kids or these students and they would get them to do and they would time them, check their kind of track their mistakes, their focus, their concentration and see how quickly they could do it. So they kind of do that with one group and then they leave and then they bring in another group, you know, all individually. And this time, this next group that comes in, they hand them a white coat. Um, and when they put on the white coat, they tell them it's a painter's coat. Okay. So now they do the exact same test, track all the results. They leave, then they bring in the third group and, um, they hand them the same white coat, except this time they tell them it's a lab coat or a doctor's coat and they do the, um, the test. Well, the results were that the people who wore the lab coat of the doctor's coat finished that test in less than half the time and made less than half the mistakes as the other people. Well, why is it? Well, because when they put on the white coat that was a lab coat, they enclosed themselves into the cognitive state of someone who would be a lab technician or a doctor, which is they're careful, they're methodical, they're detailed oriented, which allowed them to do that task more effectively then. Okay, but the painter's coat people, how did they do? Zero difference between them and the plain clothes people. Why is it though? Well, it's because when they put on the painter's coat, they enclose themselves in the cognitive state of someone who's more creative, more expressive. That didn't help them with that specific task. Okay. So and this and this ties into one of the elements of the alter ego effect that I talk about in the book, which is we it's important to use like totems and artifacts. And, you know, there's incredibly successful people who use uniform all the time. So getting back to your earlier question around, you know, Navy SEALs, yeah, they're stepping into this like more heroic identity for themselves. And yet a lot of people kind of in the public sector, whether it's entrepreneurs or whatever, they're not leveraging this idea. And yet some of the most successful people use uniforms all the time. And sometimes it's leveraging the uniform of someone that you might admire, you know, I've got a, I've got a guy here in New York city who loves to kind of, he dresses like James Bond. He's specifically, he's a, he's a finance guy, but he specifically shops on Savile Row because that's where his identity would shop. And it helps him to step into this kind of this self that he really wants to be, which is him. It's not him being fake. It's, it's him. It's, it's about people truly recognizing that we are creative beings and that you get to choose how you want to shape yourself. Most people are just being shaped by their family, their history, their race, their religion, all these things, and they become puppet strings to them. And it creates what I call in the book, you know, when I unpack this kind of model in chapter three, this trapped self, where you know you want to be or show up differently, or you're not getting the results like you know that you can, and it traps you. Because at the end of your day, you're feeling like, you know, you didn't leave it all out there. Why didn't I say that? Why didn't I do that? And playing with this stuff helps you move past that more gracefully. Great. Well, Todd, we got to work towards wrapping up here, and I think we could go much, much deeper. Uh, but you know, maybe we'll save that for podcast number two. But <laughs> my final question for you right now is: What is one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience that is not called The Alter Ego Effect? <laughs> well, now I need to go think about it. Easy. A Curious Mind by Brian Grazer is a great book. So you know, one of the people behind Pixar and all those, you know, Studio Head. It's just a great. I think it's a great book because it taps into and it kind of unpacks how to be more kind of curious, which then allows people to be more creative. And I like reading books from people that, because it's very much biographical. I'm not actually a big nonfiction fan, or I'm sorry, I'm not a big nonfiction fan. 
because I don't like reading a lot of books that are kind of condensed of a bunch of different ideas. I like reading about people's histories and their stories because I think you you develop and and get a lot more nuance from that person. And actually, I think more entrepreneurs should read actually more fiction books anyway instead of nonfiction. So, but it's a great book. A curious mind. Love it. Well, Todd, what's the best way for A, people to find you online and B, find your book? They can find me. My home base on the interwebs is toddherman.me. And uh, of course, on there, there's all the links to, you know, the social channels that I kind of go and hang out on as well. And the book, alteregoeffect.com. I've got more videos on there for people to take a look at. And and then uh, the links all around the world to where you can buy it. You know, right now it's in airport bookstores everywhere, Barnes and Noble, um, all the traditional places. All right, Todd, thanks so much for doing this. Eric, your champ. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.